Chapter 6 of Savarine's Disappearance This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alex Bowie The Gerard Saint Mystery and Other Weird Tales by John Charles Dent Savarine's Disappearance Chapter 6 Speculations for a long time subsequent to the night of the disappearance, a more puzzled community than the one settled along the Millbrook in Spotswood Road would have been hard to find in Upper Canada. At first sight it seemed probable that the missing man had been murdered for his money. On the afternoon of the day when he was last seen in Millbrook, the fact of his having four hundred pounds in bank bills in his possession was known to a great many people, for, as already intimated, he told the story of his dispute at the bank to pretty nearly every one who, with whom he came in contact during the subsequent portion of the day, and he in every instance wound up his narration by proclaiming to all whom it might concern that he had the notes in his pocket. But it was difficult to fix upon any particular individual as being open to suspicion. There had been no attempt on the part of any of his associates on that afternoon to detain him in town, and his remaining there until the evening had been entirely due to his own inclinations. So far as was known, he had not been followed by any person after his departure from the Peacock at 7.45. Anyone following would have had no prospect of overtaking him unless mounted on a good horse, and must perforce have passed through the toll-gate. According to the testimony of Perry and his wife, nobody had passed through the gate in his wake, nor for more than an hour after him. But, mystery of mysteries, where had he managed to hide himself and his mare during the two or three minutes which had elapsed between his departure from the gate and the arrival there of Lapierre, and, if he had been murdered, what had become of his body? Had it at all been within the bounds of reason to suspect Stolliver, suspicion would certainly have fallen upon that personage. But any idea of the kind was altogether out of the question. Stolliver was a boorish, uncompanionable fellow, but more unlikely man to commit such a serious crime could not have been found in the whole countryside. Again, he could not have had any conceivable motive for making away with Savarine, as he had been working all day in the fields, and knew nothing about the four hundred pounds. Besides, a little quiet investigation proved the thing to be an absolute impossibility. At the time of Savarine's disappearance, Stolliver had been sitting at his own table, in the company of his wife, his family, and a grown-up female servant. He had sat down to table at about a quarter to eight, and had not risen therefrom until several minutes after the town bell had ceased to ring. On rising, he had gone out with his two boys, lads of thirteen and fifteen years of age, respectively, and had barely taken up a position with them on the front fence when Lapierre came along and questioned him, as related in a former chapter. So it was certainly not worth while to pursue that branch of inquiry any farther. The only other persons upon whom the shadow of suspicion could by any possibility fall were Lapierre and Jonathan Perry, while, so far as the latter were concerned, the idea was too absurd for serious consideration. To begin with, Jonathan was seventy-six years of age, feeble and almost decrepit. Then he was a man of excellent character, and notwithstanding his humble station in life, was liked and respected by all who knew him. Finally, he could not have done away with Savarine without the knowledge and concurrence of his wife, a gentle, kindly old soul, who found her best consolation between the covers of her Bible, and who would not have raised her finger against a worm. So that branch of the inquiry might also be considered as closed. As to Lapierre, the idea was at least as preposterous as either of the others. The jovial landlord of the Royal Oak was on the whole about as likely as a man to commit a robbery or murder as the bishop of the diocese. He was of a cheery, open nature, was not greedy or grasping, 
had a fairly prosperous business and was tolerably well-to-do. On the night of the 17th, he had undertaken to go downtown and bring home the absent man, but he had done so at the pressing request of the man's wife, and out of pure kindness of heart. When setting out on his mission, he knew nothing about the altercation at the bank, and was consequently ignorant that Savarine had any considerable sum of money on his person. His first knowledge of these subjects had been communicated to him by Perry, and before that time the man had disappeared. It also counted for something that Severine and he had always been on the most friendly terms, and that Severine was one of his best customers. But, even if he had been the most bloodthirsty of mankind, he had positively no time to perpetrate a murder. The two or three minutes elapsing between Savarin's departure from the tollgate and Lapierre's arrival there had been too brief to admit of the latter's having meanwhile killed the former, and made away with his body, to say nothing of his having also made such a disposition of the black mare as to enable it to be found in the cranberry swamp on the following day. After a while, people began to ask whether it was probable that any murder at all had been committed. The finding of the coat was an unfathomable mystery, but it really furnished no evidence one way or the other, and if there had been a murder... How was it that no traces of the body were discoverable? How was it that no cry or exclamation of any kind had been heard by old Jonathan, sitting there at the door in the open air on a still night? It was certain that his ears had been wide open and ready enough to take in whatever was stirring, for he had heard the sound of Count Frontenac's hoofs as they came clattering down the road. Such questions as these were constantly in the mouths of the people of that neighborhood for some days after the disappearance, but they met with no satisfactory answer from any quarter. And as time passed by, it began to believe, be believed that no light would ever be thrown upon the most mysterious occurrence that had ever taken place since that part of the country had been first settled. One of the constables, discouraged by repeated failures, ventured in all seriousness to express a suspicion that Severine had been bodily devoured by his mare. How else could you account for no trace of him being visible anywhere? By an unaccountable oversight, Shuttleworth had kept no memorandum of the number of notes paid over to Severine, and it was thus impossible to trace them. End of chapter 6. Speculations. Recording by Alex Bowie.